You're listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent in Birmingham, Alabama, a church with a heart for the gospel. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org. Heavenly Father, I pray at this time that ultimately not my words, but your living word, Jesus, your son would go forth. And through the power and the presence of your Holy Spirit, that you would be grafted inwardly in our hearts, that we might know the fruit of your salvation. And this I ask, this I offer in your name, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen. Perhaps you have those moments in your life, those experiences that you remember that continue to resonate. And I begin our reflection this morning on this 11th chapter of John's Gospel by sharing one of those. And it was during what's referred to as clinical pastoral education. It's your first summer of seminary. They have you work as a hospital chaplain. And once a week, you were the chaplain on call, so everyone else would leave, but you would remain for the evening. And as you might imagine, it was uh, an experience of a certain amount of excitement, a certain amount of anxiety, as you, of course, didn't know what may or may not happen on that particular evening. And on the evening that I share with you now, I remember praying earnestly, Lord, I pray that I would be of service to you tonight. Uh, I pray that I would be of use tonight. I have nowhere else to be, and and I pray that I would be uh, of use. And I share that with you, and this is a saying that you've probably heard before, to be careful what you pray for, because God came through on that prayer. Um, All throughout the night, uh, one call after another, family members calling about loved ones who were there in the hospital, different units calling me to come and see a patient calls to the emergency room. Even I remember one of the nurses there called and asked me to pray with her. She said, I'm having such a difficult time in my marriage and I'm having a hard time focusing on what I need to focus on tonight, to be present, to go about doing the work that I've been given to do. And I I share that story with you because it it remains with me to this day. And the reason it remains with me was God powerfully and unmistakably answered my prayer. God powerfully and unmistakably showed up. And the reality was after that experience, I was rattled. Um, I was grateful and yet I was also simultaneously undone. Uh, you would hope and uh, had definitely believed uh, as I was in seminary that God was real, um, that God was alive, that God was active. I I was absolutely committed to that and yet such a clear and powerful, unmistakable reality of God's presence left me uh, grateful and, and yet shaken simultaneously. And I begin by sharing that story with you, as you might imagine. We have in the raising of Lazarus a a moment that left the people that were there affected. No one was unaffected by what they saw and by what they experienced that day. Some believed and some some believed in, in Jesus and who he claimed to be. And we hear, unfortunately, right after this, that uh, the authorities began to plot not only to kill Jesus, but also to kill Lazarus as well, because his calling him forth from the tomb was so remarkable that people were beginning to go after them. Uh, Jesus had clearly, unmistakably disrupted things. And what I'd like to share with you this morning is is the reality of that 
that longing and that need and that desire for God in our lives, but also the reality that when God does um, enter into our lives, he doesn't leave them uninterrupted. He doesn't blend in um, seamlessly, and, uh, and the fear that we have uh, of God coming into our lives in some ways is founded and unfounded. It's founded in the sense of, yes, when God enters into our lives, they're not the same um, after. They are not left unaffected, but the fear is misplaced because God comes in and, yes, uh, upsets things, but in order to bring us life, in order to bring us the life uh, which is found in him. I've been rereading uh, recently a, a fantastic book by a gentleman named Leif Inger, uh, and the title of the book is Peace Like a River. He's written three wonderful books, and he has a brother, actually, that's also a wonderful author, um, Len Inger, Leif and Len Inger, uh, you know, a couple of brothers from Minnesota. Uh, but there, he's a fantastic author, author in that Peace Like a River, actually won a, a Pulitzer, it was a bestseller, um, uh, highly awarded, but the, uh, there are a number of miracles which take place throughout that book, Peace Like a River, and the narrator is a young boy uh, named Reuben, and toward the beginning of the book, Reuben says this, let me say something about that word miracle. For too long it's been used to characterize things or events that though pleasant are entirely normal, peeping chicks at Easter time, spring generally, a clear sunrise after an overcast week, a miracle, people say, as if they've been educated from greeting cards. And he goes on and he says this, real miracles bother people. Like strange sudden pains unknown in medical literature, it's true, they rebut every rule all we good citizens take comfort in. Lazarus obeying orders and climbing up out of the grave, now there's a miracle. And you can bet it upset a lot of folks who were standing around at the time. When a person dies, the earth is generally unwilling to cough him back up. A miracle contradicts the will of the earth. And what we have placed before us this morning um, is a miracle in which uh, the power and the compassion of God are, are made real before us. God's might and God's mercy uh, as Lazarus is called forth uh, from the tomb. And what I'd like for us to do is to reflect on the entirety of the 11th chapter this morning and to address a few things perhaps that speak to the nature and the character of God and the nature and the character of God in relationship um, with you uh, and with me. One of the things, if, if you begin um, at the beginning, and the, among the words in here, which of course we, uh, we, we note uh, is, are the words that Jesus wept. Uh, and of course, one of the things that we see in that, and even before those words that, that Jesus wept, we hear at the very beginning of the chapter, John states repeatedly that Jesus loved Mary, that he loved Martha, that he loved Lazarus. Uh, his love for them was real, was genuine. His friendship with them was something um, which was noted. And one of the things that we see unmistakably, yes, in this particular portion, but throughout the witness of the Gospels, is that we have in Jesus a God who is not distant or indifferent. We have a God who is decidedly personal. Tom Wright is a uh, 
author, he's a theologian, he is a bishop in the church, and he was asked one time, because he's also uh, a PhD, an academic, and he was asked one time um, if, if he believed in God by someone, and it was sort of in a nudge, nudge, wink, wink way, uh, as if to say, you're an educated man, um, do you really believe in God? And I, I love his response. When asked, do you, do you believe in God? He says, well, if you're asking if I believe in God as a vaguely beneficial gas, then no. Um, I don't believe in that God. But if you're asking me if I believe in God with the human face, crowned with thorns, um, who rolls up his sleeves, um, who enters into the lives of his people, who is crucified and risen, then yes, um, I believe uh, in that God. One of the things that we see is the very personal nature and character of God a God who identifies with you and with me, who identifies with humanity, a God who also has wounds as we have wounds. And it's been debated, not surprisingly, by various commentators, these words that Jesus um, wept. Some remark that Jesus wept because of his love for Mary and for Martha and for Lazarus. Uh, he sees their suffering. He sees the death of Lazarus. And as one who is their friend, as one who loves, he, he's moved uh, by their sadness. He's moved by their sorrow. Others have uh, conjectured that uh, Jesus' tears come from righteous anger uh, at the unbelief um, of the people um, who are gathered there. Others uh, have thought that Jesus' um, tears uh, are a righteous anger directed at sin uh, and at death and their entrance into the world and their impact uh, in bringing death into the world. But regardless of where one falls in interpreting those words, one of the things that we see clearly is Jesus is not distant. Uh, Jesus um, is not um, indifferent. He, he comes um, to his friends. Uh, he weeps uh, in the presence of their sorrow and their suffering. Uh, and not only does he um, express those emotions, but he follows it concretely with his actions. Um, and, and, and yet, as we note rightly, that God is not impersonal, uh, that God is uh, entirely personal, that God seeks us quite specifically, we see one of the challenging realities, of course, is that God operates on a timetable that is different than ours. God does not operate um, on our timing. I've had a lot of discussions with God about this over the years, and you won't be surprised to know I've, I've won none of those discussions um, about God's timing uh, and my understanding of the way that God's timing should be. And I mention that because at the beginning of the chapter, an interesting thing happens. I mentioned John notes that Jesus loved Mary and Martha and Lazarus. He notes that a number of times. And they had sent word to Jesus um, that Lazarus was ill, and, and clearly their sending word to Jesus was more than he had a cold. They knew that he was uh, near death, that his situation was dire. That's why they sent for Jesus, who was two days away um, from them. And one of the things that it says quite curiously in John's gospel, and this is 11, 5, and 6. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. That doesn't sound like one um, who loves his friends. When he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer um, where he was. 
And as the chapter unfolds, he begins by telling um, his disciples that Lazarus has fallen asleep. And of course they say, well, if he's fallen asleep, then then he'll get better. And we need not go um, to Bethany where they were recently attempting to stone you. Let's, Let's stay here. And Jesus goes on to say and says, no, actually Lazarus is dead. Uh, and I'm glad um, that I wasn't there, is what Jesus says. Again, he says this, curiously, uh, he says, Lazarus has died, and for your sake I am glad that I was not there, so that you may believe, but let us go to him. We see and we experience often in life that God's timing is not our timing. And I would uh, propose to you, and you are welcome to receive this Um, or not, that God's timing is different than our timing because God is interested in more than our momentary comfort. God does come to us uh, as a comforter um, in our lives, and yet God has a grander plan for yours and my life than our momentary comfort, uh, than our momentary ease. God is ultimately, at the end of the day, shaping and fashioning us for eternity. God is, in the words of the hymn, consuming our dross in order to refine our gold. God is shaping, God is fashioning us um, in his image. He is um, deepening us. He is strengthening us. He is making us more human. He's making us more um, humane. Uh, And the process of that takes time. The process of that is at times um, unpleasant, and yet it is one which is directed by God's love and his grace and his mercy. He is ultimately working for so much more than our momentary comfort. Uh, His timing uh, is not um, our timing. And lastly, I will share this. Jesus, of course, uh, arrives in Bethany and he asks them the question, where have you laid him? And they take um, Jesus uh, to the tomb And we hear that Jesus gives the command to take away the stone, and in the ESV, which we read from, uh, the words are, Lord, by this time there will be an odor, for he has been dead for four days. If you remember, uh, in the King James uh, version, uh, more arcane, but but rather effective, if you remember in the King James, uh, the translation is, some of you remember this, yes, Um, by now he stinketh. Um, are the words uh, in the King James um, Version. They said, we should not roll away the stone. Uh, Lazarus is dead, uh, and he's not just dead, he's, he's four days dead. We should not roll away the stone. And Jesus, of course, gives the command, roll away the stone. And as in the beginning, in the book of Genesis, as God speaks, and the word of God has the power to create and accomplish that which he speaks, what is disconcertingly and unmistakably made clear to the people is that Jesus is none other than God in the midst of them because he speaks those words to death, Lazarus, come out. And he comes out bound um, with um, the burial clause. Jesus' words of power and compassion affect that which he speaks And we see not only does Jesus call Lazarus out of death, but we have a preview here, the reality that Jesus himself will walk through death. And in his death and in his resurrection, he will accomplish those words which we read from Isaiah a moment ago, those words that he will remove the shroud which enfolds all people, that God will swallow up death forever. 
And I confess to you, I've, I've read and I've preached on that passage for decades now. Uh, and perhaps I was too busy thinking with my stomach, wondering about the well-aged wine uh, and the meat full of marrow uh, and the promise that God would remove that shroud which enfolds all people, that God would in fact swallow up death um, forever. But among the promises um, which are made there as well is that God not only will swallow up death forever, but he will remove the reproach from his people. And that word reproach um, is is a fearsome word. Reproach means disappointment, uh, displeasure, rebuke, disapproval, blame, um, disgrace. What we see in Jesus calling Lazarus out is that Jesus has the power to operate where no one else can. He has the power to step into situations so dire Uh, and so unpromising, and yet to speak into and to step into those places in our lives where we're bound, where we're practically dead, where hope um, has left, uh, where there is nothing um, but feeling bound, uh, feeling dead, feeling hopeless. Jesus has the power and has the ability to step into and to speak um, into those situations and to speak a word of deliverance, uh, to speak a word of life, and his cross and his resurrection, not only does Jesus defeat the power of sin and death and separation, but he wipes away the reproach of his people. Um, all uh, of the disappointment, um, all um, of the blame, all of the separation, all of the disapproval, all of that is wiped away. All of that uh, is washed away. And so I pray that as we reflect uh, on these words this morning, as we reflect uh, on the raising of Lazarus, that we'll see into that amazing character of God, a God who seeks us personally, who enters into our lives specifically and personally, a God who, yes, operates on his timing rather than our own, but who also ultimately comes to deliver us, who comes to accomplish and to extend into our lives hope, um, to extend into our lives um, life, Uh, to give that word which comes from him, that we would know that he has defeated death, that he has removed the reproach uh, of his people and given to you and to me in their place uh, are his life and his peace. And as we hear that to stay, let us pray. Heavenly Father, you know the needs of each of us specifically uh, in those areas in our lives where we long for you to speak uh, a disruptive word of hope, uh, to bring um, deliverance, to bring new life. I pray that you would wonderfully, graciously move, uh, that your word of power and grace would be spoken into our lives and that we might find the life which is found in you. All this I ask and all this I offer now in the name of your Son who is Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. You've been listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent. If you live in Birmingham or find yourself visiting, we hope you'll join us at one of our Sunday services. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org.